Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. An agonizing wait in the ER. It's just really unacceptable to treat human beings like this. Overworked staff and degrading conditions that she says added to her father's suffering. A glitch in the BC vaccine card program. This is something that's been happening to me for about five years, so really what I felt was tired. What happened when he found the wrong name printed out on his passport? And the new promise of affordable homes on a prime piece of Vancouver real estate that's been neglected for years. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We start with a health care horror story from an angry daughter who says her ailing and elderly father spent three days in an ER waiting room. As Erin MacArthur reports, she says he wasn't the only one dealing with degrading conditions. Sorry, it's just really unacceptable to treat human beings like this. Jolene Carlson still doesn't have any answers. Her father, Dave, was taken by ambulance to Lionsgate Monday around midnight. There were no beds available, and he was relegated to a stretcher in the waiting room. He wasn't alone. According to the family, 14 patients were stacked up in the hallway. And he wasn't hooked up to a monitor, so how did they know that his blood pressure was okay or his heart was okay? Dave Guild is immobile. He needs constant care. But in the emergency department, there was nowhere to properly care for him. He waited three days before a bed became available on the fourth floor. After 24 hours of just laying there, my mom pleaded somebody to please change him. And they, they attempted to change him right there in the waiting room, um, which, to me is, which to me is just a complete lack of dignity. Neither Vancouver Coastal Health nor Lionsgate Hospital responded to Global News' request for answers to Jolene's questions. If you need emergency room care, then you should go to the emergency room. And, uh, and, that we ne- and uh, we're going to continue to do the work to support our staff. Overcrowding and staff shortages have plagued hospitals around B.C. Beds and what staff are on hand often being diverted to treat an ever-increasing number of COVID patients. In Kamloops, after a 70-year-old woman died under similar circumstances, the mayor and council are demanding solutions. I'm uh, really quite disappointed and I have called uh, the Minister of Health on 10 consecutive days and he has refused to return my phone call. I've written to my MLAs, I've written to um, the Minister of Health, no response. Jolene's dad is finally receiving the level of care he didn't get when he was first admitted to the ED Monday night. His doctors say they're having a hard time treating him now. He is suffering from organ failure. I know it's not the nurse's fault. I know the paramedics are doing the best they can. Everybody's as taxed as they can be. But it it has to be changed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, here's a troubling look at the COVID-19 cases in B.C. right now. In the past 24 hours, we have 820 new cases 
Our active case number is now at 5,850. There are 281 people in hospital, 135 patients are in the ICU, and tragically there are nine new deaths to report today. We've hit the 78% milestone of eligible British Columbians, 12 and older, who are fully immunized. And now we're getting little more evidence that our fourth wave in B.C. is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Here's Keith Baldry now with a look at those numbers. Keith. Yes, it increasingly is the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, we're not even halfway through the month and already more than 350 people have been admitted to hospital due to COVID-19 infections. Uh, but it's one thing to fill up uh, acute care beds, and those are largely unvaccinated people, at 90% unvaccinated. It's quite another when ICU beds come into play, and that's what's happening in our hospitals right now. Unvaccinated people are filling up our ICUs, and we don't have a lot of ICU beds. Here's how the stats break down. We've got about 510 base uh, base. ICU beds right across the province. Right now, 114 unvaccinated people occupy those beds. That's 22% of the total capacity. Six, now, this again, more evidence. This is not an old person situation. 68 uh, unvaccinated people under the age of 60 are in ICUs right now. Both of those numbers continue to climb. To put some context in this, take the Northern Health Authority, for example, which only has 41 ICU beds. Right now, 15 people are in those ICU beds due to COVID-19. 14 of those people are totally unvaccinated. So, folks, get vaccinated. Avoid going into the ICU. A number of people in the ICU right now, more than 130 people, up five today, are on ventilators. You don't want to be in that situation. And you don't want to be a long hauler, which is people who continue to experience devastating symptoms after they're pronounced cleared for COVID-19. We're not at the level we were at in late April when we had fewer vaccinations. But clearly right now, if you're not vaccinated, you run the risk of the worst outcome of this virus. No doubt about it. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. As BC rolls out its vaccine cards, it appears one segment of the population is falling through the cracks. As Kamil Karamali reports, some members of the transgender community are getting a shock when they download their cards from the government's website. It hasn't been an easy road for Kyler Emerson. He went by another name not too long ago. After a change in gender identity in 2018, he felt more like himself. It's really freeing to be able to just live your life. But on Wednesday, he applied for the BC vaccine card. When he got it, he saw his old name stamped clearly on the pass. That was hard to kind of see and a bit of a slap in the face. It brought up a lot of old feelings and um, it made me very uncomfortable. It's what the trans community calls a dead name. The name you were given at birth but had left behind after changing gender identities. There's only so much that you can take as a, a trans person. Wolfric Odinson, a transgender male, had the same issue. His dead name from more than five years ago clearly written across his vaccine card. So really what I felt was tired. Fatigued and fraught with worry. What will happen now that his vaccine card shows one name and the rest of his government IDs show another? The vaccine passport requires you to show photo ID. My vaccine passport is in my dead name. My photo ID is in my legal name, so I won't be able to do things like go to a restaurant. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Health says it continues to engage with advocacy and community groups and is working on a solution to these challenges and will have more information in the coming days. I think trans people should be entitled to a QR code just like every other British Columbian. 
Trans advocacy lawyer Adrian Smith says that they've been emailed by a handful of trans people who've also been dead named on their BC vaccine cards and believes this is just the tip of the iceberg with possibly hundreds more who've experienced the same. An example of a broken system where an identity change can be flagged in one part of the system and not another. Part of the problem is that people's private records are kept by different government ministries that of course don't talk to each other. For Kyler Emerson, he's hoping the province fixes the issue soon. If you're going to make the system a requirement, you need to make sure we can use it. So he can leave his past self behind. Kamal Karmali, Global News. Restaurants across B.C. are being warned of a possible campaign by opponents of B.C.'s vaccine passport that could cost them a lot of money. The so-called project has been mentioned on a number of social media platforms, suggesting people phone in and fake pickup orders to restaurants that say they're going to enforce the vaccine card requirements starting on Monday. The B.C. Restaurant and Food Services Association says it's a shameful and ignorant campaign, and it's getting the word out as a warning for restaurants. Just imagine this. All these small business owners and their staff being threatened by a bunch of people, and this is an industry that's been on its heels for 18 months. People have been out of work, and now we've got people using our industry as a way to discuss whatever their frustration is in life. Tossenson believes the small minority of people who oppose the vaccine cards will dissipate when they realize their so-called protests are going nowhere. He says the best way to support the industry is to patronize restaurants, vaccine card in hand. A new agreement might finally lead to social housing on a prime piece of Vancouver real estate that's been neglected for years. The city, the province and Holborn Properties have signed a memorandum of understanding to kickstart construction on the Little Mountain site. A large chunk of prime real estate in the middle of the city has been vacant since 2008 when Holborn bought the property. As part of the deal, it says it'll build nearly 300 social housing units by 2024. The developer paid $334 million for the six-hectare site. The B.C. Liberal government at the time gave Holborn a $211 million interest-free loan until the start of 2027, but the contract had no construction deadlines. The contract was a giveaway. The politicians were at best grossly negligent and complicit, and government should do what it can to get the housing built as soon as possible. I have also explored in detail our legal options to get the housing built, and given this contract, there is no option where we can take back Little Mountain without having to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to the developer. Now, the memorandum of agreement, it's not binding, but it does, to some little extent, um, call out Holborn publicly for, uh, for a vacant lot that's been sitting here all these years. This commitment is to build another 100 units of social housing by 2000 and the end of 2024. What are they going to be doing? How can it possibly take that long? Her son was a promising young actor on a hit show, but nothing could save the 16-year-old from addiction. Logan Williams' grieving mother tells Global News how he couldn't get the help he needed. Living on the edge, a hiker opens up about the mistake that nearly cost him his life coming up on the news hour. And getting ready to light up Chinatown, the cultural feast 
coming to Vancouver this weekend. That's later as well. But right now, the mother of teen actor Logan Williams says B.C.'s children's ministry failed her son. Williams died of a fentanyl overdose last April while in ministry care, just days before his 17th birthday. His mom spoke to our Ramina Dea about the excruciating years trying to get Logan the help he needed. <laughs> Logan Williams cherished every moment. Oh, that was awesome. A happy, athletic, generous kid with grand dreams. Then this. The teen hospitalized weeks before he died in the care of the Ministry of Children and Family Development. He told me, I'm going to get clean, Mom, and I love you. And I'm going to, you'll see, I'm going to help so many people. I want to see my dad. I already said no, Barry. He didn't do those things. Williams, who starred in the TV series The Flash, was a successful actor. But the 16-year-old was battling a traumatic past that led him down the dark hole of drug addiction. Williams suffered a fatal drug overdose resulting in serious brain injury while in government care in February 2020. The teen ultimately ended up at a group home where he took his last breath April 2nd of last year. The cause of death, fentanyl. I begged them to call the ambulance. Had they done the checks, had they originally just called the ambulance like they were supposed to, it could have saved my son's life. The coroner's report states staff conducted hourly checks on Williams, but there's no record of this in Freedom of Information documents. Multiple pages missing or blacked out. The teen's mother, Marlise Williams, made her case to the chief coroner for a public inquest, but it was denied. I'm livid. I mean, how can the general public not be interested in youth dying of fentanyl poisoning? The coroner's service says an inquest is not superior to a coroner's investigation, which was done in this case and is now being reviewed by the representative for children and youth in this province. MCFD says it can't comment, citing legal reasons. In her son's name, Marlise is fighting for independent oversight of MCFD. She is determined to help other suffering families and bring about change as the poisoned drug supply continues to claim young lives. You're so cute. Let me film you. I just learned most of the so both songs today. Logan was a blessing in my life and he was a fighter and even in his death he's fighting. Romina Dea, Global News. Family and friends have identified a Maple Ridge father of two as the driver killed in a freak accident at a Vancouver fast food drive-thru. Tony Ailes was going through the McDonald's drive-thru at Main and Terminal Wednesday morning when police say he dropped something while paying for his order. When he went to retrieve it, his vehicle rolled forward into the building. Ailes was pinned between the door and the frame and unable to free himself. He died at the scene. His brother-in-law has started a fundraiser to help support Ailes' wife and two children as they move forward without him. He was an elevator mechanic, which, you know, pays well. Um, but it's just so much more than that. You know, those kids idolize their dad. Um, I've said to him and my sister many times, if I could raise my kids to be half as good as theirs, I would be extremely content with that. You know, they did everything together. There wasn't a time when I could picture my sister with somebody else. So it's just, it's heartbreaking. 
So we're all gonna have to step up as a family to you know, fill as much of that void as we can, but it's not gonna be enough ever, I think. The VPD collision unit is still investigating the tragedy and asking witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage who was driving in the area at the time to please come forward. Reminders of the war in the woods nearly 30 years ago. RCMP pass a milestone trying to enforce an injunction at Ferry Creek. Why even the former Green Party leader believes the activists are offside. And laser danger, how a Vernon man nearly blinded pilots coming in for a landing. Fire crews exiting Highway 1 westbound out of the Cassiard Tunnel. There is a crash in the tunnel that's causing major delays. We're seeing the backups now going back to Kensington in Burnaby. Through Kermat Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps to provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids in Global One. I'm Tim May. A more than year-long old-growth logging protest on Vancouver Island has now led to more arrests than at the Clackwood Sound War in the Woods nearly three decades ago. The Pachidot First Nation wants the protesters to leave, and as Kylie Stanton reports, the arrest milestone comes as a new RCMP survey shows a vast majority of British Columbians support enforcement action to remove them too. It started out with one. Go, Grandma. A grandmother standing her ground. We love you! And now, at 962 arrests, the old-growth logging protest at Ferry Creek has surpassed the War of the Woods as the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. Quite frankly, we're astounded that we are still here. And so are the majority of British Columbians, according to a poll commissioned by the RCMP union. 82% of the 800 people surveyed agree police have a duty to enforce injunctions. And three in four agree the Pachita First Nations request for protesters to leave their territory should be respected. Your time is up. Move on. Um, Everybody's heard you. Time to go. But the poll also showed nearly 50% agreed civil disobedience is necessary to prevent old-growth logging, while 77% believe protest is an important part of democracy. In this case, the National Police Federation say its members have maintained their professionalism against a steadily increasing barrage of verbal taunts, racial slurs, and engineered physical barriers, threatening everyone's health and safety. We have seen provocation uh, to the nth degree by those protesters trying to elicit some form of a response, and our members haven't. All they do is criticize. Former BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver calling out the protesters on a podcast earlier this week, saying it's time they changed their tactics. There's all sorts of ways to move forward, but just shouting at the clouds, particularly when you've uh, already got the moratorium in place, is not actually helping advance solutions. It's a form of anarchy. After more than a year of blockades, loggers have now moved in. Protesters say they may have lost ground that way, but they haven't lost their will. They're more determined than ever. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A four-day ceremonial fast in opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion has come to an end. The fast for the Fraser was organized by the Union of BC Indian Chiefs and started on Tuesday. 
A gathering on the north bank of the Fraser River marked the end of the demonstration at the spot where the pipeline will cross. So we did four days of fasting and prayers and putting down our sacred bundles and our eagle staffs for this river so that the river will not be damaged by Trans Mountain any further. They're drilling and they're, um, all the loud noise that was coming from this is from that pipeline they're drilling underneath the river here. The Trans Mountain Expansion Project is expected to be complete by December 2022. In Vernon, RCMP have arrested a man for pointing a laser at airplanes in flight. The man was reportedly aiming a green laser at several airplanes who were in flight over Vernon last night. Shortly before midnight, witnesses led police to the suspect in the Becker Park area. A 39-year-old Vernon man was arrested, but not before allegedly assaulting the arresting officer. He remains in custody and is facing a number of potential charges. Damning testimony at the Cullen Commission into money laundering. I was frustrated on behalf of BCLC that the government were controlling the narrative. The original whistleblower on what ultimately pushed him to leak information to the media. Coming up next. And how soon children as young as five might be eligible for a dose of the COVID vaccine. In the clearing stages of a crash in Richmond, Highway 91 westbound, it's just before the S-curve as you make your way onto the east-west connector. A bit of a visual distraction for eastbound as well, so delays in both directions. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. Global One, I'm Tim Bain. The whistleblower whose early evidence leaked to the media helped spotlight money laundering at BC casinos is testifying for a second day before the Cullen Commission. As John Waugh reports, former BC Lottery Commission investigator Ross Alderson says despite all the evidence of suspicious cash passing through the casinos, his team kept running into roadblocks caused by bureaucratic indifference. Ross Alderson would witness the rampant drug use driving through Vancouver's downtown east side. You don't see that too many places in the world. It's, it's disgusting. Then see the suspected blood money from drug deals flood into BC casinos. The whole thing to me was distasteful. A deadly hand he believed was being dealt over and over again before his eyes. While innocent British Columbians were left to pay the price. And I saw nothing being done. Nothing being done. The former anti-money laundering director of the BC Lottery Corporation told the Cullen Commission growing frustration pushed him to break ranks. Did I leak information to the minute? Yes, I did. Would I do it again? Yes, I would. We wouldn't be here today if I hadn't. While the whistleblower said he tried to take action as a director, he could only push recommendations up the chain of command. I took the role as director because I thought I could make a difference. And um, we did. Myself and my team and a lot of the management team there. Alderson laying much of the blame for a culture of indifference at the very top. I was frustrated on behalf of BCLC that the government were controlling the narrative. And I think they've tried to do that ever since. Alderson was pressed on his own wording when it came to communication with the government. Specifically the talking point he provided to CEO Jim Lightbody. That suspicious cash couldn't be proven as the proceeds of crime. 
I don't think I was in a position to write, I believe this cash is dirty, we should be refusing it. I mean, I don't think it would have made me too popular with the When asked why he didn't do more to act on those concerns, Alderson said he felt compelled to toe the company line. It was always in the back of my mind um, with any conversations with existing executives that they were aware of that and aware of the concerns. So that's probably why I had some reluctance. Instead, a BCLC director became a leak to the media about dirty money in BC casinos. John Hua, Global News. Fresh off two back-to-back national debates, the federal leaders are picking up the pace on the campaign trail. Two frontrunners taking shots at one another, uh, one another, while one leader is publicly admitting the campaign has been a challenge. Miranda Ann Thistle reports. There has only been pandemic and waves since my election. Uh, I need to earn the vote of the people that I'm seeking to represent. Green Party leader Annamie Paul made a rare campaign stop outside of Toronto, saying her lack of travel on the election trail is about being eco-friendly, but also candidly revealing tensions between her and her candidates. It might not always be the best thing for me to be in a riding. Have you heard from local candidates that they don't want you there? Uh, the, the short answer would be uh, would be yes. Infighting and accusations from Paul that attempts to force her out are driven by sexism and racism have plagued her time as leader. You no, had six not years. You. you don't get to rate. This week's two national debates saw barbs and blows between parties, but the leaders came together on a shared priority. We're all in this together. The leaders releasing this video, recorded just before the debate, telling Canadians to get vaccinated. But it didn't take long to get back to political punches. That pattern of not leading but misleading is something we're seeing more and more from Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole can't stand up to the anti-vaxxers in his own caucus. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in Hamilton repeatedly taking swipes at the Tory leader, who returned the favour during his campaign stop in Mississauga. Nothing illustrates the arrogance and entitlement of Mr Trudeau more. He called an election in the middle of a pandemic. And after six years of letting Canadians down time after time, we know his ambition is never matched with achievements. In Ottawa, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh reiterated why he believes his party is the best choice. And when pressed again on why the New Democrats still haven't released a costed plan, he says they're waiting on the parliamentary budget officer. And they've got a, a great track record of being able to cost out platforms. So we wanted to work with them and we'll have our platform costed, released by, on Saturday. The Bloc Quebecois have yet to say how much their promises will cost Canadians 10 days out from Election Day. Leader Yves-Francois Blanchet cast his ballot Friday, the first day of advanced polling. Miranda Anthesel, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization is now recommending people who are immunocompromised get a third COVID vaccine dose. Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, says the advice applies to people 12 and older whose immune systems are compromised, like people being treated for cancer or organ transplant recipients. Research has shown those individuals are already at a higher risk of getting seriously ill from the disease and have a weaker immune response to vaccinations. Tam says NACI is not advising members of the general population get a third booster vaccination. And vaccine maker BioNTech says it will seek approval around the world for its COVID vaccine to be administered in children as young as five. The company, which teamed up with Pfizer to produce vaccines, 
says they'll file the results of a trial in 5 to 11-year-olds with health regulators in the next few weeks. It also has laid out plans to seek approval in children aged six months to two years later this year. A hiker comes clean about the mistake that almost cost him his life. I, I learned from it, for sure. What he did that he hopes no one else will do. And in sports, Oje Aliassime puts up a brave battle at the U.S. Open, hoping to make it two Canadians in the final. An unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It can happen to anyone. That's one of the lessons being shared by a hiker who became lost and in need of rescue on the North Shore this week after he got separated from his friends. As Emily Lazatin reports, he now hopes others won't make the same mistakes he did. I'll just give you a taste. It is the most narrow, sketchy sh I've ever seen, and it's you know what? At that point, it's like life or death. Here in beautiful BC, there's no shortage of lost hiker stories. This one, no different. But the ordeal, documented on video. Our friend, he wanted to go down really fast. And, of course, he got himself lost. On Monday, Seth Christian became separated from two friends while out for a day hike near Lions Bay. His two other buddies realized they needed to call for help. He went downhill to somewhere we don't know. We told him to stay put, but he didn't hear us. I'm very worried. Forced to spend a chilly night lost on a mountain, he was found late the next morning in a river drainage on a steep rock face next to a waterfall. He was injured and hypothermic. He had no shoes on, bare feet, and obviously drenched from a cold night. And we were worried that uh, he could potentially fall off there. So we told him to stay where he was. We got into his location and extricated him. If it wasn't for them, I don't know what would have happened. They came at the perfect time. Search subjects don't often talk about what happened for fear of being shamed. But these young men are sharing their lessons learned so others don't make the same mistake. Stay put. Don't separate with your, with your group. Don't go off ahead. That's what I did and I, I learned from it. They're confident to share their story even though they made mistakes and we can all take this opportunity to empathize versus shaming and really educate and increase awareness collectively. These young men humbled by their experience, passing their lessons to those young or old planning to tackle BC's mountains. I'm just so amazed by all the work you guys do out here. It is so incredible and you guys saved my friend's life and I, yeah. I am forever appreciative. Stay safe, especially when you're hiking. Emily Lazatin, Global News. All right, we'll check uh, on the weekend weather forecast around here in a moment. Maybe a little rain in it, but nothing like what they might see out on the East Coast. Christy is here with the details. Christy. You're exactly right. I feel like it's unfair me reporting here. You can see the sun shining behind me. Meanwhile, uh, eastern Canada, Newfoundland in, in particular, getting hammered right now. The outer bands of a hurricane now making its way towards that region. Uh, the Avalon Peninsula expecting a landfall as a Category 1. Uh, they're expecting uh, swells or waves ranging from 10 metres to 14 metres and wind gusts likely up to 160 kilometres an hour. That 
that would put it put that in within the top uh, winds that they've ever experienced in through that region. Now, uh, Hurricane Larry not only going to impact Newfoundland, but as it makes its way towards Greenland, significant snow expected there. We're talking about the potential for up to 45 centimeters of snow as we head throughout the weekend. We don't have any pictures from uh, Hurricane Larry right now from eastern Canada, but certainly tune in as we head into the evening hours and even into tomorrow. We'll have more uh, details as to how things have fared. Our region, we are expecting a few showers across the region through the morning hours, likely a bit drier in the afternoon, but we're not totally in the clear. As we head into the evening hours tomorrow, Metro Vancouver has a chance of showers once again. So tomorrow remaining very unsettled, although dry and mostly sunny and through the Okanagan Valley, but mainly cloudy with about a 60% chance of showers and cooler conditions tomorrow with highs ranging from 17 degrees across the Vancouver Island region to 19 here. Now that is seasonal for this time of year, but it'll feel cooler compared to the warmth we've seen over the last couple of days. Sunday, a chance of showers in through the morning hours with breaks of blue sky in through the afternoon hours. And Chris, I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window is from Wells, which is near Barkerville, just east of uh, Quinnell. Elaine's sharing this uh, little fit photo of a, a shop in that area. And I'll tell you, if I was driving by, I think I would stop there also. So thanks, Elaine, for sharing that one. How could you not stop there? That's one of the cutest mm-hmm. shops in that region. Absolutely beautiful. And thank you, Elaine, for sharing it. Okay, thanks, Christy. All right, Squire Barnes joins us now with a look at... Oh, no, wait, before I get there, let's talk about the big event coming up this weekend, shall we? Final preparations are underway for the Light Up Chinatown Festival this weekend. Lanterns were hung around the neighborhood this morning for the festival launch Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Live entertainment, food trucks, lights and decorations all expected to illuminate the community and draw visitors in. The area has not only been hit hard by the pandemic, it's also been a target for anti-Asian attacks and has seen a surge in graffiti, in vandalism and garbage and street disorder which continues to be a major problem. So event organizers are hoping to celebrate the heritage of the neighborhood and show off local entrepreneurs and businesses this weekend. They invite you to come on down and enjoy the food and flavor. Okay, now we can talk to Squire about what's coming up in sports. And, uh, yeah, some Canucks news. Yeah, well, they, uh, they are getting close to their training camp, and J.T. Miller says don't think that last season was indicative of what this team can really do. I don't really look at last year as a step back. You know, we didn't have the same year, but that was some extreme circumstances we were playing through. Yes, he believes that was just a blip, and this year will be a lot better for Vancouver. All right, let's hope so. Also tonight's satellite debris. Hey, yo, riding, gliding, always on the ground, but today I'm in another state of mind. A lot of excitement about Canadian tennis. We'll get to that in a minute, but first, hockey. All right, and there'll be excitement about that pretty soon. We are two weeks away from the Canucks training camp, and this year is a year that Canucks believe they'll be able to prove to us that last season was just a nightmare. Nobody was immune from it. That includes J.T. Miller, who is a guy you can always tell just by watching him on the ice if things are going good or if things are going bad. J.T. Miller smashes the ice with his stick in frustration. It was a frustrating year for all of the Canucks, but none more so than J.T. Miller, whose irritation level boiled over a few times. But his eyes are looking forward now, putting that COVID-ravaged season in the rearview mirror. I don't really look at last year as a step back. You know, we didn't have the same year, but that was some extreme circumstances we were playing through. Uh, 
you know, with six to nine guys hurt that are playing on a regular basis and quarantining for, you know, 30 to 40 days, depending on who you were. I mean, nothing regular or normal about that. So we're turning the page, move on. You know, we have some chips on our shoulders, which I think is appropriate. So That's when JT Miller plays his best, when he's got that chip on his shoulder. But he knows it's got to be the entire team motivated if the Canucks are to return to the postseason and find the form they had in the Edmonton playoff bubble. JT Miller puts the Canucks on the board. But everybody's got to raise their game to another level. Everybody's got to take the next step in their development, and that's goes for you know guys like me, you know Tanner and Bo, all around the same age. You know, it's, you know we got to do a good job of leading the way in that department. And you know I'm not, I don't think us are we're, we're a satisfied group right now. We want to keep pushing ourselves. And and you have another layer of guys like the younger guys that are going to go in their third and fourth year. Everybody got to take that next step. And if we do that, we're going to be a good team. And there are some new faces who also need to produce. Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland will play key roles. And Miller's also impressed with that Russian kid. What's his name? Well, I mean, I haven't seen anything about the Pazolkin, so I'm, or, I'm even saying that, well, whatever his name is, I don't even know, but uh, I've been skating with him the last three days. Russian kid. Yes, the Russian kid, you know, I've been skating with him the last three days, super nice guy. You know, just doesn't speak a lot of English, but he's, uh, I can tell he's got, a, got some games, so I'm expo- looking forward to seeing him, because I don't really, I don't really know anything about him, so it's, uh, you know, he's going to get an op- a great opportunity with us. And Miller expects to see a much grittier group, guys who play the type of game that will pay dividends in the playoffs when the Canucks get there. 200-foot guys, competitive, tenacious team, you know, and that's, that's how you win is doing that. And we have, we have enough talent to score goals, that's, there's no question. So if you put all that together, things should go well, and it's about buying into that. And get the- to all of us, it's Vasily Colson. To J.T. Miller, it's the Russian kid. Um, the Vancouver Whitecaps will try to stretch their unbeaten streak to 11 games tonight against Portland. It uh, starts at 7 o'clock at BC Place. It'll be on the radio, AM 7.30. Portland, of course, is a rivalry game. So this is extra special for the fans, the team, and interim head coach, Vanny Sartini. The reason why we are here doing our job uh, is because of the fan, of the people of Vancouver, and also the people from here that work at the club. Without them, our job wouldn't exist. I think we, we owe to them to give 101% instead of 100%. That extra 1% can make a difference. The BC Lions will be at BC Place tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, for a rematch against Ottawa. That game will also be on AM 730. They beat the Red Blacks a couple of weeks ago, and quite frankly, Ottawa was no match for BC in that game. But winning two in a row against the same team is never easy in football. They had injuries right before we played them the first time, so their guys have had more time to gel. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a different game. They always are. Um, you know, but we get a chance to play at home. That's the most important thing is to... To come out and put together a good performance at home, we certainly aren't pleased with how we played last time under our own roof. Well, can Felix Ojealiasim do what Leila Annie Fernandez has done? It was not going to be easy today against Daniel Medvedev. And you can see right there, Medvedev, he's just better. Number two in the world. Felix had a chance, though, to win the second set right here. Up 5-3 at the advantage. No, not in the net. And that seemed to unravel him. He lost the second set, and this is match point. He did well to get to the final four, but he's not going to the final. Medvedev will be in the final. Don't know who he'll play yet. Tomorrow at around 1 o'clock, though, two players. I don't think they'd be old enough to drink any celebratory champagne. They will play for the U.S. Open. Emma Radakanu, who is 18 years old, born in Toronto, but left there at the age of two, raised in England, and Montreal's Leila Annie Fernandez, who just turned 19 this week. She 
actually has had the tougher road to the final. She had to defeat the fifth seed, the third seed, and the second seed to get here. And how would she describe this week? I think one word that that really stuck to me is magical because not only was is my run really good but also the way I'm playing right now I'm just having fun I'm trying to produce something for for the crowd to enjoy and I'm glad that whatever I'm doing on court the the fans are loving it and I'm loving it too so we'll say it's magical. Actually, the fans love them both because Radicanu was a qualifier. Nobody expected her to get this far either. So it's mm -hmm. going to be a good one. Great one to cheer, and she is so fun to watch. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We're back right after this with Satellite Debris next. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So uh, we're going to do what they say can't be done. Squire, take it away. Okay, so Serena Williams, of course, we haven't seen her at the U.S. Open because of an injury this year, but she is on Satellite Debris. Check it out. With DirecTV Stream, I can get live TV and on demand together. Watch. Serena Williams. Wonder Woman. Serena Wonder Woman. Serena Wonder Woman. Serious. My son. That was not in the movie. Hmm. Must be the director's cut. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Introducing Direct TV Stream. Greatest invention for dogs was not the squeaky toy. It was the motor vehicle. What dog does not love sticking his or her head out the window? Volvo knows that very well. Always on the grind, but today I'm in another state of mind with the sun shining. My brother Sinai, the real partners in crime, down to stay on my side, we get it poppin'. Rolling down the street, get the beats, feel the heat, see the green leaves on the trees, life spotless. Feel the breeze of the summer coming. Engine running, man, we always into something. Pulled up when the sun came down, play something that suit the mood. Yeah, live life like nobody's around. Take your time, gotta get in your groove. Things can get a little hard sometimes. Take a breath, leave your promise behind. Even if you didn't smile all day, felt lost, you will find your way. It's gonna be okay. Dog kind of looks human. Whatever, whatever it know. takes to sell trucks. Okay, so uh, two old favorites from Geico. Here we go. New house is amazing. So much character. Original crown molding. Walk-in closets. We do have a rat problem. At least Geico makes bundling our home and car insurance easy. It does help us save. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com. Look who's back. 
Again? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. We can see you, Carl. We can totally see you. Come on, you're better than this. All that prowling around. Yeah, you're the king of the jungle. Have you thought about going vegan, Carl? (laughs) (laughs) You know, folks who save hundreds of dollars by switching to Geico sure are happy. How happy are they, Jimmy? Happier than an antelope with night vision goggles. Nice. Get happy. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sure, a lot of animals would appreciate that. <laughs> Night vision goggles. Night vision goggles. It would save a lot of lives. Get out of here, Carl. Do we have time for weather or no? Are we out? We're done? Okay, go. I think we're done. Okay, have a good okay. night, everybody. Uh, have, so tomorrow we do have a chance of showers. Okay. okay, good. Now we know. See you, Christy. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Okay. Bye.